We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Deutsche Reporter Klaus Badenhagen. Good to be back. Happy New Year. And on the telephone from Taichung by Donovan Smith. Oh, great to be here. Tonight we're discussing Taichung's second electoral district by-election, the Freddie Lim recall, Hang Yu making a comeback, speaking at an event where he launched a book. And we'll also be talking about it being a rather messy beginning to the new year at both ends of the island due to the large amounts of trash left behind by party people. But we'll begin with the disturbing news this week of new domestic coronavirus cases and more quarantine hotel cluster infections. The cases are currently all centred at the Taoyuan International Airport. And as of the time we're recording this show, a cluster of 12 of those cases has been confirmed. But that number is worryingly expected to rise in the coming days as more tests are being carried out. The cluster was discovered after an airport cleaner and a taxi driver tested positive for the coronavirus earlier this week. And several of the cases have been confirmed as being of the Omicron variant. Variant. The Central Epidemic Command Centre on Thursday also reported a fifth quarantine hotel cluster infection, and that's the fifth one since early December here, which is adding to questions as to how adequately hotels can serve as quarantine centres in the long term, as it's believed the virus was carried in the air circulating between rooms via gaps in the ceiling or through the air conditioning systems. And the Epidemic Command Centre is also set to adjust its coronavirus booster shot policy. Health experts have agreed that the interval between the second jab and a booster shot should be reduced from the current five months to three months. However, it's yet to be decided who will actually be eligible for this shortened booster shot period, whether it will be just simply medical workers and quarantine staff or basically every Joe and Jane blow on the island. Now, here's some interesting information regarding booster shots. As of the end of December, 2.6 million people here in Taiwan had received their second coronavirus jab more than three months ago. And that means that figure is expected to reach 7.68 million by the end of January. So if they do shorten it, of course, they're going to be very busy doing booster shots. Now, other interesting facts and figures from me this morning or this evening, whenever you're listening to this sound of me talking, is from the latest Epidemic Command Centre figures showing the vaccination rate. And they show that 80.11% of the population have now received at least one shot of the coronavirus vaccine, while 69.73% have received the two doses required to be, well... Uh, semi-fully vaccinated, I shall say. However, only 0.79% of the population have so far received a booster shot. So, Donovan, of course, another cluster infection at the airport. Of course, it began last year at the Taoyuan International Airport, and it appears it's beginning again at the airport, only this time it's, it's airport staff. We have cleaners and a security guard so far. Yeah, well, something that's interesting is there's nearly 900 cleaners at uh, at the airport, and that's that's an awful lot of people. And of course, the airport is it's it's the obvious. I mean, if you look, you you get recently there have been you know 30, 20, 30, 40 uh, imported cases every day, because obviously Omicron is extremely infectious, and so the number of imported cases that are coming into Taiwan has escalated significantly. During Delta and earlier versions of the coronavirus, we were generally getting between zero and 10 imported cases a day. But if you look recently, we've been getting 20, 30, 40 cases of imported uh, imported cases every day. So the fact that that there's going to be some leaks somewhere in the airport, somewhere in the quarantine hotels, 
somewhere along the, the, the chain where all these imported cases are coming in uh, is escalating significantly. So it's not really a big surprise that we're starting to see clusters considering the number of imported cases that are coming in with a highly infectious variant. So this is not really a, a, a surprise. I think that it, we're going to have to figure out how to, uh, how, how to prepare for this. I, it's really kind of hard to determine. And of course, that brings us to the questions about quarantine hotels, Klaus, whether they're safe, whether they can be used in the long term, or whether maybe Taiwan should actually build very quickly spe specific places for people to quarantine that are safe. Well, I think, first of all, let's take a minute and think about the situation we're in right now. If you remember, I think it feels uncannily like the situation in Taiwan in early May before the first wave hit. You know, life has been so good here, so normal for months and months. And we've been looking at the rest of the world and not believing what's happening there. But now there are cases out in the open here. There is some community transmission going on. And this is exactly what happened back in May. And then all of a sudden, May 15, um, the cases were in the hundreds and the, the lockdown uh, had to be imposed. So I hope we are not having a deja vu here. I hope that the authorities are even better prepared this time around than they were back then, because back then I've, we were surprised that the testing capacities, for example, were not put in place yet. I think that has been improved. But we are dealing with the, as Donovan said, a much more infectious variant now. Back then it was the alpha variant, and uh, Omicron is more infectious by a level of, I don't know, f three, four, five times. So, um, yeah, it is important to do the contact tracing now. It is also important to make sure that those infected people from overseas do not infect others during quarantine. And right now we have at least five cluster infections that originated in quarantine hotels. And from what I've read mostly it was connected to the AC system. So somehow the air got from one room to the other and that definitely needs to be improved. I'm not sure if centralized government facilities would necessarily do a better job of that. And well, now there's the Chinese New Year coming up with um, tens of thousands of, of people coming in more than ever before. So I'm pretty sure that after Chinese New Year, having taken a look at the situation, we'll know what we're really in for. Well, that was a bit of gloom there from Klaus Donovan. Can I add a little bit more gloom? Uh, apparently, one of the uh, Omicron infected uh, cleaners from the airport apparently was out playing mahjong at a big club uh, with very few uh, uh, with very few uh, precautions in place. So uh, it looks like, yeah, we as Klaus noted, we may be in for a bit of May deja vu, but definitely hope not. And what about the quarantine hotel situation? I mean, do you think that the government should put people in special places rather than the hotels? Or do you think that maybe more epidemic command centre staff should be based at hotels to make sure things don't go wrong? I, you know, I think Klaus is right. I'm not really sure that the, the central government can do a whole lot better job with this because once you outsource this kind of thing, to you're outsourcing it effectively to someone. So whether you're outsourcing it to, say, the hotels, which have a lot of experience of managing hotels, or they can outsource it to a bunch of government employees who have no experience with anything, really. They'll probably put in uh, smarter or tighter precautions on dealing with uh, coronavirus. But on the other hand, they have no experience of running the, running 
is running a hotel or running a a, 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 a a place where you have to take care of a large number of people. So they may make, end up making bigger mistakes than the hotel might. It's really kind of hard to say. So, I, you know, I'd agree with Klaus on this. I'm not really sure that that, that would actually improve things. And Klaus, what about the vaccination rate? Well, if we take a look at the people who received the first dose in Taiwan by now, it's 80%. And considering that Taiwan only really started giving out a lot of vaccinations after May 15, after that first wave hit, they did a really good job of getting the number up to 80% that quickly. I mean, just for comparison, this is higher than the first dose vaccination rate in Germany or in the US, for example. It's a bit lower than in the UK, Canada, or countries in the region like Japan, South Korea, Singapore. But still, they did a pretty good job there. And the second dose vaccination rate will catch up quickly. It's at about 70% now, but because they start to compare to relate, it still has to catch up. There's two things that worry me. One is for a few weeks now, we are basically stuck at this 80%. So there are very few new people getting their first shot recently. We have a comparatively low rate of old people who got a vaccination at all. The rate for the people over 75 is less than 80%, while, of course, it's the highest age, uh, the most vaccinated age group in many other countries. And the, as you just mentioned, the rate of people who got the booster shot is less than 1% now. And because we're dealing with Omicron, where it has been proven that the booster shot, the third dose, gives... Uh, decidedly better protection against getting infected, especially if a few months have passed. Well, that's another thing that if this if this Omicron wave really gets out and starts to hit here, which does not bode too well for Taiwan. So it's a good decision to, to make sure that more people are getting this booster shot more quickly. Also, according to the, uh, according to the statistics, Taiwan has about 7 million doses, vaccine doses on stock right now. So it's not like there's a shortage here like we had a few months ago. We have, we do have the vaccine here and it needs to get into arms quickly. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot to add to that. I mean, at this point, as far as the vaccines are concerned, yes, we're, we're well stocked uh, compared to most countries, as Klaus noted. Taiwan has done a pretty good job. Uh, Ian started a little bit late because, of course, Taiwan was diplomatically isolated and it was a little bit harder to get the vaccines here initially. But we're we're in a good position right now as far as that's concerned. But whether or not the problem with Omicron is is it appears that even if you're if you're vaccinated, it reduces the symptoms. But, you know, it's still fairly easy for you to catch the Omicron variant. So, you know, hopefully we'll get a lot more people vaccinated and that will reduce the risk of Omicron if, if, if it breaks out, which I certainly hope it doesn't, but it, it won't stop it. And that's, you know, that's the main concern at this point. And moving on now, and voters in Taichung's second electoral district will be heading to polling stations this Sunday to cast their ballots in a by-election called after the Taiwan State Building Party's Chen Boway was, of course, recalled. Now, the election pits KMT candidate Yen Kuan-hung of the famous Yen family up against the DPP's candidate Lin Ching-e. Now, the campaign, of course, Donovan, in your neck of the woods, has been rather rife with allegations and accusations, most of them, in fact, aimed at Yen. 
Yeah, and this is actually really quite remarkable. I mean, traditionally, the if you look at, at previous elections, the press, by and large, has treated the Yen clan, you know, Yen Qingbiao, Yen Quanhang, uh, Yen Liming, with kid gloves. Because the, the black faction traditionally has been very powerful, and people were, frankly, afraid of them. And the press in this by-election, for the first time really, has taken off the gloves. And allegations against the Yen clan for all kinds of things have been coming out pretty much every few days. Now, many of these allegations are unproved, they're unknown, but the the fact that people are making them is a big deal. And some of them have stuck. So, for example, there have been already two cases now where uh, legally uh, there have been structures that the Yen clan owns that have been found to be on, in one case, city government land that was uh, built for a children's recreation area, and another case where they had an illegal structure on land that was owned by the central government. And in both cases, neither the, the the structures have been ordered torn down, but they've been stalling and not tearing them down. And when it came to the national one just recently, the city government first came in and wanted to check out the property, and there were apparently family members in the property, and they refused to open the gates. They just simply refused to let them in. So they've been the Yen clan has been stonewalling both the, the local government and the central government on tearing down their illegal properties. Uh, and now these are both proven allegations. All the other allegations at this point are still allegations, but those are now, uh, these now actually have legal force, but they're still stonewalling them. So essentially what's, com- what's coming down to is the, the central government, the local government, the press, the local police, all of these people are kind of lining up now against the black faction here in Taichung, which the N clan essentially leads. And so the, the whole theme of this by-election is old corrupt politics versus a new, fresh, clean you know, doctor who, who, has, you know, who is in the past, has held positions both in the, as a party list legislator and as within the party. Uh, has been leading up on issues like gender equality, international relations, these sorts of things. And she's a doctor. She has a a reputation for being clean. And the KMT has been attacking her as basically uh, Chambolwe, a female version of Chambolwe, which is not entirely accurate. She doesn't quite come across as entirely as combative as, as Chen was. But she does seem to have a a similar sort of ideology. So it's going to be very interesting to watch this election because what it's going to come down to is turnout. Whether or not, because if you you take a look at the previous the previous by-elections, referendums, the kind of thing that you could say compare this to in terms of voter turnout, most of them came in at the low 40s. And the Chemboye recall came in in the low 50s, which was remarkably high. And the number of people who came out to to support the recall, to get them ousted, 
was a narrow margin above the people who supported him staying. Now, that the turnout was so high meant that there was a lot of interest in this, but it also means, or suggests at least, that the black faction and their old-school get-out-the-vote powers still exist. Now, nobody knows exactly what the black faction's abilities to get out the vote are. Chamboli himself said that looking at his internal polling, he came, he, he came to the conclusion that it was 20,000 or more people came out because of the black faction, uh, because of the black fa- faction get out the vote. Now, I don't think it's quite that high, but it definitely was what put them over the top in getting Chamboli uh, recalled. So how, how strong, how good is their get-out-the-vote powers versus how much are people disgusted with the old-school politics and the patronage factions? And, and this district is, both black, is mostly black faction, but it's also partially within red faction territory. So, Klaus, I mean, Donovan pretty much summed it out there, but what are you taking away from the Taijong Bar election? What? I must say I'm such a Tian Longguo guy, you know, living in Taipei. And the journalists here mostly tend to focus on what's happening in Taipei, central politics and local politics. So I'm really glad that we have someone like Donovan down there telling us what's really going on in central Taiwan. And uh, I must recommend Donovan did a really good special on his own podcast, Taiwan Report, where he explained the factions and what is the black faction and how did they come about? How did they get so important? I really recommend that. Donovan, one thing you just mentioned made me interested. It was, you said that not only the young voters and not only the media started to turn against the Yen family clan, but also the police. So does that mean that, I mean, they have controlled local politics for so long, which means that police prosecutors must have been looking the other way, whatever it was that was going on there. Do you think that has changed as well now? And if so, why? I mean, what are the changes that happened in, in the, uh, on the side of the authorities? Well, thanks. Um, I, the, uh, that's actually a great question, and that's actually one that I've been pondering over, because, the, because recently there was a couple of cases where, I, there was, I'm not making this up, laundry detergent and a banquet held uh, locally where the, there's a limit on how much. It's like 20 or 30 NT. It's a very small amount where any giveaway during a, a campaign event, anything above and beyond that amount, that cash amount, is considered vote buying. Now, traditionally, the factions did a lot of vote buying. They used cash back in the day, but the police are investigating in infractions against this, which are, like I say, laundry detergent above 30 NT. You know, this kind of, they're investigating things which are relatively minor. But what's happened is, is that the press has been going out and making a very, very big deal out of all of these things. And I think that what's happening is, is that the police and the prosecutors are following in their footsteps. In other words, once the press has put a lot of uh, a lot of attention on something, the police have to follow up. And and I'm starting to get the sense that the police are now actually proactively trying to get ahead of the press on this. So essentially, the tables have turned on the black faction. 
in that before the black fashion could could assume that the press would remain quiet and the police and prosecutors remain compliant. But now you've got a feedback mechanism going on between the press and the police and prosecutors and city government officials where they can't be seen. The police and prosecutors and city government officials can't be seen in the press as being weak or not doing their jobs and the and the press is continually feeding into that and there's it's kind of building up into and and all of a sudden now you're starting to get all of these allegations and a lot of this stuff is common has been commonly known in Taichung for a long time a lot of these allegations that are coming out I won't specify them but they they've been commonly known and talked about within within Taichung for quite a long time. The the Yen clan is legendary for their ability to uh, almost magically win land auctions. Um, And, you know, when things come to government bid, suddenly everybody else disappears and there's only one bidder left. And it's amazingly them. Um, These kinds of things have been coming out over and over and over again in the press recently, but before they, they, they got a free pass on all of this stuff. Now, uh, Yen Qingbiao, the patriarch of the family, who's been put in jail for things like running guns to uh, assassinate a, an opponent and uh, corruption, he's been jailed repeatedly. He was, put, uh, he, was put, he was hospitalized last night for high blood pressure because they've come under intense scrutiny uh, for all of their property holdings. There's been a a big scandal in the press about a new, uh, the city government put in a a plan proposal for a blue line MRT line and then retracted it to add another, uh, another station, which is basically all centered around uh, Yen clan family lands and to be resent back into the central government. So there's been a lot of uh, concern about this there. So it, it's just all piled up. So we'll have to see how this plays out in the election. I'm really quite curious to see how the vote turns out at the end of the day. And that's where we have to leave it for a short break here on Taiwan This Week Now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan This Week. Now, not only are voters heading out in Taichung's electoral two-district this weekend, but they'll also be heading to polling stations this Sunday here in Taipei. As constituents in the Zhongzheng Wanhua electoral district will be casting ballots in a recall vote against independent lawmaker Freddie Lin. The recall campaign to remove Lin from his legislative seat was initiated following the domestic coronavirus outbreak in May of last year, as Wanhua was one of the epicentres of that outbreak. His opponents have criticised him for backing the central government's position on how to tackle the outbreak and also for failing to support his constituents after a government official appeared to blame residents of the district for the outbreak in the first place. Now, the DPP has been very busy over the past few weeks, even though Lin doesn't actually work for the DPP, with party heavyweights ranging from Jilong Mayor Lin Yo Chung to Legislative Caucus Whip Ke Jeng Ming and even President Tsai Ing-wen coming out in Freddie Lim's defence. So, we had Tai Jong there from Donovan and you live in Taipei, Klaus, so what are you taking away from the Freddie Lim recall? 
Well, Freddie Lim has been talked about a lot on your show here as well in the last few weeks, and everything that has been said is, still holds true. The KMT is trying to repeat what they did successfully with Chen Borway by painting Lim as a somehow irresponsible, divisive character type who also supported policies like um, American pork imports and so on and so on. I'm just not so sure it's going to stick this time because... As has been mentioned, Lim has been elected twice in his district. He's quite well established there. And um, he's just not, if you know him, he's just not the kind of character that you would attribute these uh, allegations to. I mean, I've witnessed him work his district a few times over the years, the first time when he was running in 2015. And he is, he just comes across as such a down to earth, grounded kind of guy. He, really takes his time to talk to the local people, elderly people. You know, Wanhua is a district, of course, with a lot of um, socioeconomic problems as well. He, Even though he's an international music star, he does not come across as aloof at all. And the fact that he has been re-elected in 2020 shows that he was successful. I mean, he even cut his hair to, to appear more, more normal, I guess. So... Um, Yeah, I think, again, it, it will come down to the turnout. Will the KMT be able to mobilize enough people to come out to vote against Lim? They need 25% for that. Well, the weather has not been too great recently. Now maybe we will have a virus scare. Who knows, once we see the numbers for today. So I would be surprised if they actually recall him. But it's possible, of course. And Donovan, do you think if they fail on this recall, we should have, we'll have a spate of no recalls? That's actually a very interesting question. Uh, just quickly, I'd like to mention that actually uh, some of my knowledge on uh, uh, on Freddie Lim's uh, on Freddie Lim actually comes from Klaus's uh, reporting on him. So, uh, just a shout out to Klaus on that. Um, this is a very interesting question. The the thing is is that obviously now because the referendum threshold is is you need to get you need to get twenty five percent. Uh, of the voting uh, of the voters from the last election, you need to to approve it with 25 percent, and that's a quite a low margin. And the number, of course, people who approve the recall needs to be higher than the number of people who reject the recall, and that's quite a low margin when you think about it. Because in the last election, uh, for example, in the last two. Uh, Freddie Lim won his first first election with a four percent margin, and he won re-election with a three percent margin. So, the to get to that twenty five percent theoretically is far below the number of people who voted against him in either of those two elections. But the voters came out and not only elected him once. All the recalls in the past have been first have been first-term politicians. This is the first case where it's somebody who's actually been elected by their constitu by the constituents and re-elected by the constituents. So to a certain degree, he's already passed a recall by, by being re-elected by his constituents. So, but the number of people who need to come out and vote yes to recall him is far below the number of people who voted against him in spite of the fact that he was re-elected last time. So 
I, you know, as long as these, uh, as long as the referendum margins and the number of signatures needed to get onto a, a a recall vote are so low, I think this is going to be a recurring problem. And uh, the concern is, initially, this this came about with the Hangoyu recall, which has started out of the pan green side, but the pan blue side has launched a whole string of recall votes. Is will this be picked up? again on the pan green side as a tactic and this becomes very disruptive to any or and a huge risk to any elected politician going forward and that's a, a big concern but how this is going to play out we'll have to see yeah i also think that in this legislative term we will still see a uh, initiative to raise the bars again i mean it was the dpp majority in parliament that made it easier to pass referendums and recall votes. It, it used to be quite hard until 2016. The threshold was very high. Then they made it easy, um, maybe urged by the new power party back then, maybe a bit too easy as we see now. I think they will they will try to adjust it back from to maybe, I don't know, 35% or 40%, something around that area. And they'll have to do that quickly, of course, won't they? Well, the next election is going to be in 2024, right? So we still have two years for that. I think the lawmakers are probably going, we better do this quickly because they might get us in other places. Yeah, first they want to raise the voting age, but this is a whole different story. I think we won't get Lower the voting age. Uh, lower the voting age, of course. Yeah, change it. Sure. <laughs> They're not going to hire it. No, that would that would not go down well. <laughs> that would be a surprise. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Anyway, we talked about him just then, and Mr. Hang Wu Yu actually returned to the public spotlight this past weekend when he made his first major public appearance since he was recalled, of course. Now, speaking at an event that was held at the Taipei's Dian Forest Park, he actually attracted thousands of supporters, and he launched a book and the establishment of a charity that he chairs. Now, according to the former Kaohsiung mayor, he's hoping his book, which is titled Mr. Han Knock Knock, will help both soothe and inspire people during the difficulties caused by the coronavirus pandemic. The book is apparently a collection of 12 stories featuring local Taiwanese pursuing their dreams and helping others. Now, he also announced the establishment of the Tianlang Foundation, which he says is devoted to the education of minority groups and other charitable deeds. Now, while the actual event was pretty much a minor news story, it did spark speculation that Mr Han is seeking a comeback and political pundits on television, whichever channel you happen to be hopping through, were busy talking up a possible pending challenge to the KMT's leadership of Eric Ju. So, Klaus, do you see Mr. Hang you making a comeback or do you think maybe he's he's going to settle down his foundation and as a book person? Well, I can see why he would be thinking about this possibility. I mean, the KMT leadership right now is not too strong to put it friendly. And also the KMT has a tradition of um, allowing comebacks. So Eric Ju, the current chairman, of course, he lost the presidential election and he had to step down as chairman back then. Even someone like Hong Shou Ju, who did not even get to be, be a presidential candidate at the election. She came back and got elected chairwoman. So, um, yeah, I can see that he's speculating maybe for once Eric Jew fails and needs to leave the stage, then people will need to choose between someone more centrist and Taiwan-rooted like Ho Yi or someone who stands more for the old guard and the hardcore republic of China values like Han And also, I mean, you must say that I would not underestimate him. He is hes quite a gifted orator. I mean, I, I watched him during the 
presidential campaign and he has this kind of uh, snake oil salesman charm so he can really get the crowds wild of mostly those who support him anyway of course but um yeah i think he's a he is a gifted politician no matter what you say about where he stands so he's i guess he's definitely at the back of his mind working on a comeback so donovan do you think mr eric jew is shaking in his boots at the moment he should be. I mean, Klaus's uh, summary, it was excellent. Um, the, the thing is, is that uh, Eric Jew, uh, when he came out, he was buoyed initially by the su successful recall of Chemboye. But a lot of that took place prior to him taking, taking the position. So he kind of coasted into that one. He then lost all four of the referendum votes. And if, if he loses both of the uh, votes this week, this weekend, he's going to be in under a lot of pressure to resign. And as Klaus noted, that's going to, you know, that could mean that he could be under pressure to resign or to step aside. Now, whether he will or not, I don't know, but that would be if he loses both, that's a still an if, but then he, he will have lost six election votes in a row and so the pressure will be high on him. If he does do that, then there will be then there will be a new new KMT chair race. Now it's important to keep in mind that he only won the last he won the KMT chair race by forty some odd percent. It was a tough three way race, which he eked out a victory, but a majority of his own party voted against him, and he was considered something of a moderate and within the party he's now got a, a raid against him the runner-up in the last kmt chair race was Zhang yachong who did surprisingly well and rallied the base uh han guoyu who also rallies the base is now coming back out with his new book his new foundation and I, this is an interesting thing that I, that I haven't seen anyone else pick out, but you'll notice that when he ran uh, for Kaohsiung mayor, he ran on a very positive campaign, meaning that he came out and was talking about all the positive things. He wasn't, uh, he, it wasn't negative, he wasn't angry, it was a very, and, and his message resonated. As Klaus noted, he is a very gifted politician. When he ran for president, it was a very angry, bitter campaign. So he seems to be going back to the positivity that he was communicating during his Kaohsiung run, which, had, you know, which led to that big hand wave. So I, I see him kind of going back to his electoral success roots, which I think will serve him well. But Eric Chu also has to worry about Zhao Shaokang, uh, who is the, you know, the BCC a chair and popular politician who wanted to run for KMT chair the last time around, but he hadn't rejoined the party. He, he re only rejoined the party last January. So soon he'll be, el and he, you need to be in the party for a year before he can run for the chair. So he'll soon be eligible also to run for KMT chair. So there's a lining up right now of deep blue figures, uh, you know, against Eric Jew. Eric Jew's been playing heavily to the deep blue base, but he's got deeper blue people uh, arrayed against him right now, which I think 
he has to be very scared of. And there's really not much more on the moderate side. Hoyoi is, as Klaus noted, he, he's the big one who seems to be a lot more moderate. But so far, he's shown no interest in KMG chair race, but he did issue what I call a manifesto uh, on, on Facebook recently where he finally came out and made a bid for national prominence by taking a stand on national issues where he basically told his own party on the referendum votes to go stuff it. People should listen to their own opinions, come to their own conclusions, and he pilloried partisanship within politics and uh, elevated this idea of civic responsibility above all else, which, of course, makes him uh, a very popular with centrists and independents, but he's also deeply offended the deep blue base. So this is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. And before we go this week, it proved to be a rather messy beginning to the new year here in Taiwan at both ends of the island. In Taipei, 110,000 people who rang in the new year in the plaza in front of Taipei City Hall left a staggering seven tonnes of garbage behind. Apparently, it took like 800 garbage cleaners an hour to clear that up. So that was, that was got rid of quite quickly with a lot of people. But in Pingdong, the remains of fireworks, firecrackers and general garbage was found littering the Nan One Beach in Kending National Park. And that raised some rather iry feelings and netizens criticised the people who visited the beach and let off fireworks saying their failure to clean up after themselves showed an utter disregard for the environment and could damage the marine ecology there. Now the letting off of fireworks and littering the beach in Nanwan needless to say is actually illegal I mean why not? You can't leave garbage on a beach because the National Park Act says you don't do it. Now the park administration has said that well it will step up patrols to stop these things from happening in the future. But Klaus it's all a bit late now. I mean did you see the pictures of Nanwan Beach? Uh, I think I saw one picture and it didn't look nice. Um, yeah. Well, in, in general, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, in general, Taiwanese are doing a fine job in not littering and in not having a vandalism problem here. Uh, I mean, in Taipei, the cleanest public toilets are in the MRT stations. I mean, this is something which boggles the mind of every European visitor who comes here. And you have all these public sports facilities in the parks and the, the nets of tennis courts and no one is no one is damaging them. And you don't see that many trash being thrown around in the in the cities here. I mean, it's people cleaning up, of course, as well, but it, it's not that big of a problem. But then in some cases like this, also some popular hiking spots, of course, where you don't have trash cans prepared for people to use, then all of a sudden, most people don't bother taking it with them. I mean, maybe they should be instructed uh, more clearly. Maybe there could be some campaigns like um, appealing to people's national pride, beautiful island and so on. We, uh, we, we want to keep it beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's not, it's not impossible, but uh, f somehow the message did not really come across for opportunities like this. The party people were too busy, Donovan, to clean up after themselves. Well, here's the thing. I'm an event organizer and, and, and organized an awful lot of these events. Here's the thing. When you get a bunch of people together in huge numbers and get them drunk, they're going to litter. <laughs> it's just going to happen. And you have to plan and prepare for that. That's just simply the nature of things. So in, in future, obviously, the, you know, 
they need to prepare more garbage cleaners. They need to prepare more garbage cans. But it's just going to happen, and you have to prepare for that. I don't, I, once people get uh, you know drunk past a certain point, I don't really think the education is going to help them all that much. Yeah, I, I think that's, know, that's, that's a factor. Partying. That's a that's an important factor. I didn't think about this, but we also have a littering problem on hiking trails, uh, for yeah, example. True. So, and they are not drunk. I hope when they are up there. And of course, there's not many trash cans in Taiwan. In Klaus, you don't. In Taipei, there's a dearth of trash, public trash cans, really. Well, that's of course connected to the fact that you need to pay for your trash to be. Um, you have to buy the official trash bags, and um, so if there were a lot of free trash cans around, everybody would just get rid of their trash there to save a few NT. Yeah, sure. That's that's the reason behind that. Um, yeah, you you need to get used to that. It's another thing you need to explain to a lot of Taiwan newbies once they hit the ground here. And Donovan, is Taijong clean? Generally speaking, yeah. I mean, as Klaus noted, by and large, uh, the cities here are pretty clean. People don't litter a lot. There's a little bit, but not not excessively. I, I'd say you know, even Taipei is, has more graffiti and garbage, I think, than Taijong does. Um, but yeah, generally it's pretty clean here. But Klaus, I mean, seven tons of garbage. It got cleaned up outside Taipei City Hall, but that's an awful lot of garbage, considering they had to clean it up. Yeah, I wonder what made up the majority of that garbage. I mean, um, let's speculate. It, it was not. It was not private fireworks, at least. I mean, <laughs> if this would have been a German a New Year's party, then everybody would have taken their own explosives, and uh, at least until two years ago. Um, yeah, probably drinks, right? Um, plastic bottles, that stuff. Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan This Week This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Klaus Badenhagen. Great to be here. And on the telephone from Taijong by Donovan Smith. And great to be back. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.